Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. Uh, this is episode 49 of the Jesus Society Podcast. Uh, we're going to continue today our conversation with Nathan and Ashley about worship music and the Christian assembly. Um, we're, and we're just going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. Uh, I'll say again, if you're just joining us here, please go back and listen to the the other parts. There's three more parts before this. Um, these last three parts of the of the four part thing, we we rec- were recording all on the same day. So for us, this is just one big long conversation. But we split it up um, because you will be happier with us all if we <laughs> don't make you listen it to a two and a half hour episode. So. So um, hardcore history, hardcore stuff like we're really doing the job on this one. So, um, yes. So and uh, this episode number two, we really introduced ourselves and talked about our background. So if you want to know who we are, um, listen to episode two. That's where we talked at length about where we're coming from, from all three of us. Um, I am the uh, I am the geriatric person in this uh, in this uh, uh, threesome um, (laughs) trio. Oh, what do you like? Threesome. Oh yeah, that's that has connotations we don't want to put out there, right? Yeah, trio, trio, because it sounds trio sounds musical, doesn't yes. it? And since we're talking about this, yeah, we love okay. Jesus. We promise. Yeah, all three of us love Jesus. Yeah. So, so we're, anyway, we're going to just jump in today um, where we uh, where we left off last time, and uh, this this will be uh, this is probably. Uh, I don't know. I want this to be fun and upbeat. We're going to be a little more critical of some things, I think. Maybe, maybe not um, in this phase of this than we have been with some things, but maybe not. Maybe we're okay. So I, I want to talk about some of the snaggles that we get into, pros and cons with, because as I said, I think in the first episode, I have a little bit of a longer view than some people because I I remember some of the worship wars that we have had in churches over the last 40 years or so, maybe, maybe even before that. And uh, some of the ways in which that just did not bring about the things of God, the way that we, the way that we dealt with what I think is an important thing, but in a way we, you know, we dealt with it often in a way that did not promote unity, didn't, was not based on love. Um, you know, was very divisive, and I, I'm not happy about any of that. That said, there are things I think to critique, um, and some things to to celebrate in both sides of what has often been a worship war kind of thing. So I want I want to start off talking about what we what we might call traditional worship music, and that's a that's a catch-all term, right? Um, for for people like me that have had have had a background. In churches of Christ and acapella music, it's just acapella music. Um, although I'll say, interestingly, even in acapella music, you'll find this fun, Ashley. Um, one of the things we battled over um, in acapella music, there was a, and I, I think it st- it may have started somewhere else, but for me, the first I ever heard this was with um, the acapella vocal band, which was a a band that just yeah, did acapella. Like, uh, like- the one called acapella. The one called acapella. They got yeah, some good stuff. They really have great stuff. Yeah. Well, like if you've listened to some of that, you know that there is a drum-like vocal sound, mm-hmm. right? And I can remember some people in in Church of Christ saying, 
trying to say that that was wrong and bad and sinful and not what God wanted because even though we weren't using instruments, we were trying to sound like one and therefore, you know, as though what God really couldn't stand was <laughs> instruments, right? Like that was, the, right? Anyway, so... We- we had a similar independent Baptist thing, but what God couldn't stand in the independent Baptist circles was drums. Period. Yeah. Period. Yeah. We. Yeah. You remember that video we found? I, we couldn't find it again, but where somebody was talking about how the backbeat was simple or was sinful, which the backbeat yes. is like a way that you would. It's hear emphasizing it. the two and the four, like yeah. you're supposed to. But, but you would hear that in any song ever. Ever now, <laughs> but <laughs> but how that was. Yeah, that's that the that's the piece of this that God and, God yeah. can't stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've, frankly, we've gone to some silly places with all this. I think, and I think the three of us would agree on on that. So, do you want to talk about what my very minimal research has discovered about what um, Jews Jewish music might oh, yeah, have yeah, sounded yeah, like? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, uh, yeah. We were gonna we were gonna we, we intended to kind of stick this in last episode and we forgot. So I told Nathan that we would. We would put it in here. Um, so, so tell us, tell us what you're talking about, and so tell us what you found. In in talking about like what worship is good, quote unquote, and what what maybe is not. We were we were talking about some of this, and so I was like, okay, well, let me look into what Jewish music might have sound like, sounded like. Obviously, and again, and again, you did extensive, extensive. <laughs> I was research. up all night. Um, <laughs> It was about 30 seconds. But anyway, <laughs> apparently um, there was a, a lady named Suzanne Hike Ventura um, who she was born in Paris. She lived until the year 2000. Um, she had a sort of thesis, a, a, a belief that, and some people agree with this, some people don't agree with this, but it's really interesting that there are apparently seven markings in Hebrew that you see o- over words. I don't know Hebrew, so I'm out of, well, out of I my think, depth. But. I think, and I didn't read this, but I think um, those are... So if you look in the Psalms, right, you'll see uh, the heading for some of the songs will have some things that look like... That like may, a miktam of David? Yeah, and, and they even have some little symbols, right, that Hebrew symbols that... My perspective is people have wondered what the heck those mean forever. And I think what Nathan is saying that this woman kind of figured it out. She, well, she, her hypothesis was that those symbols um, were actually musical notation, similar to how we would read music. And so she put all of that to song and you can find some of her recordings. And so she toured around the world playing at these orchestrations of what she believed Jewish music psalms sounded like. Um, and you can read about her. There was uh, some people agree with her. Some people disagree with her. Noted historians on either so, side. So is there is there a link to some of this? Um, um, that we yeah, can we put can in the show notes. We can put some of it in the show notes. Um, um, I'll, I'll remind a, me. I'll make a little note. Um, but it, it is interesting to hear what it might have sounded like. What some psalms might have sounded like. Um, and if you listen to it, and we can put some YouTube links and stuff. If you listen to it. It's not that dissimilar from Gregorian chants or maybe even early Roman music from what we can tell of what those might have sounded like. Um, very, obviously very, very different from the music that we have now. 
but I think something that's interesting in the way that I understand music history, and if anybody understands it better than me, which I'm sure there is at least one of you listening, because <laughs> there has to be. Yeah, um, yeah. Some somebody probably listening to this knows, knows more, more about this than, than me or, or me. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't claim at all to be an expert on Hebrew music. It is. It is interesting to me to think that, and this makes sense sociology wise too that the Jewish hymns sounded similar to some of the other secular music of the day. Of the yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Ish. Right. Sure. With as much concreteness as we can, you know. Cause, I mean, recording didn't happen until the 1920s. So, you know, we're, we're stretching way back a couple thousand years. Right. And trying to guess at some of this stuff. But it from from some evidence that it does sound similar. So, what does that mean for modern music? I think some people have argued that, well, you know, our music in worship, we've talked about this through a couple episodes now, our, our music in worship shouldn't sound similar to what we hear in the secular world. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's backed anywhere. That's, that's probably not even possible. No, no. And well, we'll, what? I grew up in a tradition where that, that was very much the case. Like you merge, they deem, they disagreed strongly with modern praise and worship mm-hmm. because of the backbeats and because it sounded like what you would hear on the radio. And so church music should be different. So you don't turn on the radio and hear a piano, yeah. just a piano. So that was like the whole point was that it should be separate, set apart. So it should be different. But that style of music doesn't go all the way back to no, Jesus and Day. At one point, that style of music was popular. Like, yeah. The piano was a bar instrument until yeah. like... Right, right. Yeah, that's what I was just getting ready to say. Like, you have to realize the... the we have a we have a weird tendency in in churches to to sort of hit the pause button on his on yeah. history historical influences whenever we whenever we <laughs> want to time. yeah so you know uh, piano it's okay pian- if it's piano's both. okay which yeah. pianos I don't know when the first piano was invented well guitar was in church before piano was right, yeah right 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 but but you know so we like somehow that found its way in and and that was okay although it probably wasn't okay when it first you probably had people fighting about oh, that yeah. no we can't bring this instrument of the devil but to ignore the fact that in the psalms it talks about harps and lyres and string drums. string instruments and, and and drums which would have been common secular music or other kinds of religious music maybe to greek gods or whatever um to ignore that overlap doesn't make sense. You know, a general population's groupthink is always going to be a general well, population's Well, and, and I, can, I can tell you for absolute fact, because this I do know, when when the first, in, in, in America, in North America, when the first pianos were brought into American churches, there was a great deal of um, angst about that. John Wesley hated it. Um, I can't remember who else. I remember reading about this a long time ago. But there was a there was a great deal of angst about it and and, and just wringing of hands and and this is bad this is horrible it was called the devil's instrument the, you know, all that kind of stuff and then you know after thirty years went by it's only it's holy um, yeah. yeah and 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 then when we try to bring something else it's like no only piano piano is yeah. the only thing uh, every, it's fine but wasn't there something a, else um, a break around the Civil War where two different groups of people could afford. Well, yes. So, so here's a little bit of restoration movement history that is just so. This is churches of Christ. Like we've always said, our our traditional line has always been 
that we oppose instrumental music in the assembly for doctrinal reasons, right? For scriptural reasons. And there's not, there, there's, without getting off into the weeds, there's, there's some evidence to support that. Um, but what's interesting is if you, if you combine the historical sociological factors, one of the things you find is in the period right after the Civil War, now you know that one of the ways we we won the civil one of we, one of the ways the North won the Civil War was by starving the the Southern states, right, to control supplies, to the point that the 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 Confederate Army just was not able to continue the fight, right, and so then there was this period of Reconstruction after the war and the economic disparity between the North and the South after the Civil War during Reconstruction was stark. People were starving to death in the South right? Well, prior to the Civil War, in the Restoration Movement, which is Christian churches, Churches of Christ, um, there were churches in the North and churches in the South, and they had good relationships with each other and everything. Not surprisingly, those relationships did not always maintain throughout the Civil War because politics gets into everything, as we are currently seeing in our country. But after the Civil War, the the North, and thus Northern churches, tended to be a lot more well-off than the South and Southern churches. So at one point, some years, not a lot of years, but some period of time after the end of the Civil War, there was a church in uh, the North, a Restoration Movement church, a Christian church, Church of Christ. I want to say it was in Chicago, but don't quote me on that, um, they got some money together and they brought a, a big, they bought a piano or a big organ or something into the church. Word of that, and, and that was an expensive instrument, yeah. right? Like that wasn't, you know, buying a used electronic keyboard at a pawn shop for 20 bucks, yeah. right? This was a very expensive thing. Word drifted down to the, some of the southern churches that this big church in, in Chicago or wherever it was in the north had just spent a pile of money on bringing in this big organ. Now, if you're starving to death in the in the South, and you find out that your brethren or your sistren uh, in the North sp- spend a whole bunch of money to bring in this contrivance, which is how they, well, and instead of sending relief money to your brothers and sisters yeah. and your struggling brothers and sisters in the South, that's going to rub on you, and it did. And the more they stewed on that in the South, the more they decided that it that not only was it immoral, it, it had to be unscriptural. And so they started pouring the scriptures in, and discovering scriptural justifications for their animosity toward the... And, and rather than saying, listen, God expects his people to take care of each other, there's a justice issue involved, yeah. mm-hmm. which is the argument they should have made. Yeah. They said, God opposes instrumental music. And so you should, you should, you should get rid of it. So, they, so there, there became a, a, a tremendous uptick in the, and you can just read our publications in, in Christian Churches, Churches Christ from the South post-Civil War. And you can see a, during that period, a steady increase in the number of articles that appeared, the number of sermons that were preached in churches in opposition of instrumental music like that, that yeah. I, I won't say that, that that idea never 
received any treatment prior to the Civil War, but it was a huge uptick, and that's when it became an issue. So did, because I remember talking to you about this one day, did the, did they become a different denomination? Is that? Um, so so it, it eventually led to a split, and uh, prior to the Civil War, the Restoration Movement churches, some they were all autonomous, and some of them were called Christian churches, and some of them were called Churches of Christ, but they were all they were they all had fellowship with one another after the civil war when this sort of schism came into into play and there was a there there eventually became a more permanent division and nobody because autonomous churches nobody sits down yeah. and decides this in mass but yeah. but the the way it sort of shook out and there's some other reasons for this is the northern churches tended to take on the the name Christian Church, and the Southern churches tended to take on the name Churches of Christ. Okay. Right. So, but nobody they didn't sit sit yeah. down together and formally decide that. It's just sort of the way it worked out. And, that was... and, and and some of that goes to the the way these churches kind of developed, and then eventually came together as part of one movement. That was after the Baptist split, right? Um. Or, or was that a so there was kind of a little bit of a Baptist split with Alexander Campbell. Is that what you're talking about? Like way or Yeah, I just, I'm just asking. That was before that event, right? Um, Baptist churches were already separate before, prior well, to the Civil War? So, we're, well, we're getting into, we're okay. getting into a bigger conversation we can make, about all this. We can make another the, Restoration there Movement was podcast. Alexander Campbell, who was, is considered to be one of the founders of the Restoration Movement, um, he was part of an organization called the Redstone Baptist Association. So he was, this was well before there was anything called the Southern Baptist Convention. Well, 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 well before that. But there were Baptist churches. Um, they probably would have been, you, you probably would have, if you were trying to categorize them with today's terms, they probably would have been some kind of primitive or independent Baptist groups back then. They were all autonomous. Um, although they had some loose organization. Yeah around him right so so Campbell was part of a of a Baptist group for a while and then he eventually split with them and th that's a whole nother deal um, but the but the 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 roots of and, and I'm stepping a little bit out of my comfort zone here and saying this so I could there's take this with a little bit of a grain of salt because I'm just I'm kind of winging it here I've studied all this but it's some of this part of it's been a long time we definitely stumped you <laughs> intentionally we were trying to derail you yeah um, the, 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 some of those Baptist churches, the, their legacy over decades eventually would fold into what we now think of as the Southern Baptist Association. Mm -hmm. But there's other, there's a, there's other Baptist organizations. Oh, yeah. There's the Southern Arrow. Baptist. There's the, there's one up North that's, um, what, what's the Northern Baptist? I'm not sure. I, I know what you're talking I, about. I can't remember yeah, what, it's what it's called, but it has a, it has a name too. So the important thing of all of that, I think ties it back into what we're talking about is that as divisiveness has happened it's important to pay attention to why we believe what we believe and where yeah where our beliefs come from and 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 some of the some of the times we tend to think and, and we've said this in churches of christ a lot that you know we just read the bible and do what it says yeah. well no, you can't no, ignore we don't. history like and the perspectives like alexander campbell was a was a presbyterian and if you think, 
if you think that all of a sudden he just started reading the Bible and and just jettisoned all his Presbyterian yeah. ideas, you're smoking dope. We don't do that. Alexander, I heard somebody say one time, Alexander did not drop um, from the from the heavens fully formed. You know, he came from somewhere. We all have yeah. roots yeah. in something, and we bring those roots with us. And Churches of Christ. We, we talked we we would talk about history sometimes and, and we'd talk about early church history and then the development of Catholicism and some of that stuff and then we'd say like we would I, I there's a diagram where I've seen this played out and we would draw a line from Alexander Campbell in the 1800s all the way back to AD 33 right. as though we alone in churches of Christ maintained doctrinal purity from AD 33 all the way into the 1800s there's another Baptist uh, organization that likes to does do that. does yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's true in in every denomination and in every church. There's a there's a backbone. We talked about this earlier or a couple episodes ago. Every church has its heritage. Every church has its its um, belief system that comes from somewhere that probably comes from another denomination. Um, and to ignore that, and and those things are not necessarily wrong. No. Um, you know, like, but they can so, be divisive. They can be, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Churches of Christ, it, it is perfectly fine, perfectly fine, for people like Churches of Christ. I'm just going to use that as an example because that's more, that's my sort of part of my background. It is perfectly fine for Churches of Christ to say, we are a cappella. Yeah. We we believe that there's a there's some some level of scriptural mandate for that. We we know that the earliest church. Uh, churches were all acapella and we we want to honor that in the way that we do things that is perfectly fine every denominational group out there has its own little set of distinctives that they hold to sometimes without much justification at all that's fine you can do that where it becomes a problem is when we say our way is absolutely the only way right or or hold this idea that yes i have some scriptural justification for this but if you don't if you don't latch on to my scriptural thing, uh, as truthful as I may believe it is, um, you you're not even a, you're not even a Christian. And we've done that, and Church of Christ have done that. I'm sure the Baptist groups have done that. And that's the overarching thing. And we've both talked about this separately in different conversations. But the you know we're in dealing with how to do worship and in dealing with worship, what worship looks like in the modern church, we're getting into why people are the way that they are, you know, in some ways. And anytime you look at an issue like that, you can get into that. But I think one of the biggest problems of our society right now is that everyone feels marginalized for everything. And so in the past, we have looked at worship and how we do music in church as a way to divide us. And none of us want to do that anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. Because what God really cares about, and this is clear, I don't think that God is clear about. I think if He wanted to be clear about do music this way, He would have been. But instead, He's clear about I want you, and I want your heart, and I want you to humble yourself before Me. Yeah, and that's what and, matters. And you let Me lead you. Yeah, is what is what God is saying. And and I will lead you, and I will lead you all, and I. All Christians of all times, I will lead you all in the same direction. Now, you will not at any given point in time be at the same place that anybody else, that other people are necessarily, but I'm pulling you all toward me. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and that's like that is what is important, right? It, that we're surrendered. You said it. You said it very well. Yeah. So what are so so what we might call and and what I'm get, kind of getting at this, you know, we've had these worship wars, and and there's a reason some of these in, in the last forty years, there's a reason some of these things got started, and it gets to some critiques that can legitimately be leveled against what we might think of as traditional worship styles. So what, as we think about, you know, the non, um, I'm, I'm just going to say the non big band, big rock band kind of churches, which is the latest thing. And we're going to talk about them too. But what are some critiques that could be leveled against some of these more traditional styles? And I, w- I want to say, if, if all you do is, like if you, if you sing a cappella in your church, that's fine. Yeah. If you just have a piano, that's fine. Yeah, we're not really talking we're about not talking about right or orchestration wrong. or not necessarily. But 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 some people have felt um, that there were some problems that they couldn't tolerate anymore with more traditional worship styles, and I want to acknowledge those. So what 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 would those some of those be? Do you think? I think a piece of understanding this is also thinking about recognizing the fact that. Maybe it wasn't just music. Maybe the problem that people had with with traditional churches wasn't just music. It was, it was fundamentalism. It, yeah, it was belief system or how they felt or whatever. But, you know, growing up in Church of Christ, I felt like we didn't acknowledge a present moving Holy Spirit. Or, or even God. I mean, let's just talk about not just the Spirit, but God himself. We didn't have a... I don't think that a lot of us always had a very big concept of an active God. God was somebody who we read about and we studied about and we and we served. We we just followed the rule book and and kept our our nose to the grindstone and ourselves in ourselves in line and heavens make sure that you know we we sometimes talk about the gospel of sin management. You know that that's the, the the big the big thing God wants for many of us is for us not to sin, right? And I want to say, sure, God doesn't want us to sin. There's much 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 more that God wants and so that, of us yeah. just than don't do bad. That manifests itself in in a um, worship experience, quote unquote, where you don't feel like it's an interaction with God. You feel like I don't know, it's it's not as personal. Well, yeah, and and I think some of some of it is, and again, I'm coming from my background here. If you believe, if you believe that um, the the big thing that's important is that we do music or we do the assembly correctly as opposed to incorrectly, and correctly means we sing without instruments. It can, it can be really and and that we make sure we have the Lord's Supper every week. And I'm not knocking that. I think that's a good thing, but. Um, like if you have these ideas that, okay, we have to, we have to, um, sing without instruments. We have to have the Lord's supper every week. We have to, we have to have a sermon. We have to, um, make sure we, we, um, pass the collection plate. You know, we, we talk in, in church of Christ sometimes, or we have traditionally about the five acts of worship, you know, which those are, those are those, right? Mm-hmm. And as long as we have those five in place, every time we meet on Sunday, God's pleased, well, that can, like if that's your view, as long as we're singing without instruments, it like nothing else really matters, yeah. right? And so, 
my heart doesn't necessarily have to be right. Although, admittedly, in fairness, nobody, 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 said, nobody said that. And it, nobody would say, yeah. if you ask him, well, does your heart have to be right? Everybody would say yes, yeah. right? But it can, it can get to a point where, the, you know, we take pride in the fact that we've got all these things in place and we're doing, we're doing, we're doing worship correctly, yeah. which is what God means and what he wants. So what was growing up for you? What was, was there any issues or any things that you felt were, were problematic in traditional I think, worship styles? I mean, I can see a lot of things from other people's point of view from, from like, from personal experience. One thing that caused me a lot of like anxiety and stuff was the emphasis on getting it right. And there was, mm. and I was the pastor's daughter and I was, I had grown up in the very early part of my life more than my siblings. I was aware of the more fundamental, more legalistic yeah. um, parts of the denomination. And so, and I was like on the internet. So I was aware of like, this is appropriate in church. And some people think that playing, um, playing Southern gospel in church is not appropriate. And your song that you have like for operatory, like, I don't know that everybody's going to think it's appropriate. And my parents never, mm. my parents never, there was one time I played the office theme song in church, not during church, but like after church. Cause I didn't know what it was cause I went to youth conference and they spoofed it. And so I learned it and I had never seen the office. So huh. I didn't know what it was, but my dad was like, don't play that. In church. <laughs> so, but I think there was just always like, Oh, and with dress too. Cause we would go to youth conferences at like big Baptist churches and it was like, Oh, am I wearing the appropriate dress? Like, but it all kind of leads into to worship it was just like the stress of oh my gosh am i doing it right and i'm yeah. a rule follower so i would make rules for myself also um so that was just a big, you, you you were your own legalist yes I, yeah. yes yeah. it was right but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think i think there's a so a, a lot of our a lot of our traditional churches not all of them i, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush but we were very cerebral in just the way we did God, right? It was very, very head-driven, very knowledge-based. You know, the the purpose of church is to teach, and so we have we have Sunday morning Bible class, we have Wednesday night Bible class, we have Bible ladies Bible study. We have, and I'm again. They used to say like I heard somebody at my parents' church um, say something like three services a week is like God's will or whatever. Anyway, yeah, 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 and it's the idea that, that you know three you're to thrive. Three to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, we can be, sometimes our, our, our Christianity has been so cerebral, so head driven, so knowledge based that there was never any room for the heart or the emotion or anything. In fact, some of our churches, we, and this was reactionary against some of the charismatic slices. We, I mean, we always, we have a tendency as human, if, if one group is doing this and we don't quite like that, some of the excesses, we go all the way to the other way, yeah. right? So we're not going to have any, we're not going to allow for any expression of emotion in our assembly. And yeah. it becomes then kind of cold feeling, mm-hmm. um, k- kind of distant. And, and, um, and some people had a real problem with that. Like it was... You know, you can be you can be kind of cold and unfeeling, right? Um, and uncompassionate and unmerciful and uncaring. Like those things all sort of revolve out of an, an attitude, or they can that that sort of plays down emotion, 
right? So, and that 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 is a that is a piece of this whole worship traditional worship thing. And a lot for a lot of people, they finally got to the point where they said, "I cannot do this anymore. I have a heart. I have some emotions, and and my emotions are getting the best of me in a bad way. I need." I need to at least find some Christians that can acknowledge those emotions and help me f- deal with them. And and a lot of churches, there's just no there's no place for that, or there there wasn't, probably still is in some of them. And so traditional, what we might think of a traditional worship music, can be a little bit of that. I think also like dealing with that, like if you didn't grow up in the South, which I didn't, and like you're not a Christian or you've never been to church. And you go to a traditional worship service, you're not going to have a clue what's going on, especially if they use a hymn book and you don't read music. Like, yeah. it's just a hard entry point. Yeah. In the South, it's different because everybody grew up going to the Middle Baptist Church, like in the corner. But I think in that way, quote, modern worship is more accessible well, for some bad, for some reasons I don't agree with. But some, it's easier to just walk in. I don't think it's easier because I'm a musician. I think it's harder to learn the songs personally, but I think most people learn the songs just by ear. Yeah. So. Well, it sounds familiar. Because yeah, it's and what also you... it's yeah. But uh, another interesting point is like, um, I I remember as a kid not understanding the lyrics of the songs that we were singing because they weren't the way that, way that I spoke. Oh, I every day I like realize what <laughs> which I was is an singing. uneducated thing. Right? Like, I was a kid, and so I was a little too immature to, like, take the time to really think about it. Yeah, yeah. There so so a that's a thing. That's yeah. a thing. Um, the And, and we're probably going to talk a little bit more about this. Um, the Some of those old hymns, I think some of them are just so rich theologically. Mm-hmm. But what the heck is an Ebenezer? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, it's a yeah, it's a Bible word, yeah. but if you don't if you don't know that, you know, here I raise my Ebenezer. Yeah. What the heck is that? And ideally, we would like music to be accessible to non Christians who have grown up in a world not where that's not a common word. Some yeah. of it. Some of it. Yeah. Yeah. But and there's this balance thing that we're that we're talking about that we're hammering home is like so now you know here I am a 25 year old. I go back and I hear some of those hymns and I'm like, okay, now I see it. Like yeah. now I understand. I couldn't understand it as a little eight year old. Yeah. Yeah. But now I can. But because something I found is that because you sing it as an eight year old, because I was singing, you know, whatever as a six year old, it's, it's it stuck in my head. Mm. And so now yeah. when I like need it or I recall it, it hits me differently. Cause like, right. It was just words that I was forming, but now I have lived it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that's cool. But yeah, but like, it is hard. Yeah, yeah. Like we used to sing in the Methodist church, we'd sing the doxology, you know, praise God from yeah. above. Yeah. And then I always thought it said, praise him, oh, preachers, here <laughs> below. And it's creatures. I didn't know that, but I sang it preachers for years hey. and years and years. Yeah, I thought, well, there, God really wants the preachers to praise him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say something. And now I've kind of forgotten what it was. We have a song. Oh, it was There is a Fountain. And we were playing it at the BCM one day. And I'm Phil Fledger. Uh, I forget. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Was supposed to be the words. And for some reason, Nathan, for some reason, I, like mixed it up to say well, drown me till I die. <laughs> <laughs> was it me or was it Scott? It was. I 
I don't think Scott. He was there. Um, yeah. Maybe he was Scott. I don't know. I don't know. But I heard Zoom. That's like a that. that's a fantastic song. I didn't think about the lyrics at all when yeah. I was well, a kid. So, but with that song, my dad said he took a group of teens to sing at a nursing home one time, and that song goes, "There is a fountain filled with blood drawn yeah. from Emmanuel's veins." Right. Which, like, if you think, it's if you've dark. never heard that before, or know, don't know about gruesome. the blood of Jesus, it does. It yeah. sounds really. Yeah. yeah, but it's boy, it's a powerful song. Well, and that, song. that yeah. gets to what we what we were talking about earlier about um, all emotions being an important. You know, that there's there's a darkness to that, yeah. but darkness is real like yeah to ignore the gruesome death yeah, of yeah. christ takes yeah. something away from us yeah. So. yeah well and and so there was a there was a movement um back in the i don't know when it started maybe 70s 80s 90s um used to, maybe maybe oh i mean sorry like sorry 1970s yes okay yeah yes i was making sure we we're talking about like yeah. <laughs> yes. again i'm old um we we started we some churches started really getting concerned about you know, so I, I'm a big person to look at where does this come from, right, with everything. So right after World War II, all, all of our churches were growing phenomenally. Christian churches were exploding in, in North America. Guys were coming back from the war, and they, were, they, had, they had found God in the battlefield, and they came back alive for Jesus. A lot of them did. And they also came back very concerned about taking Jesus to these, pla- these places where they just fought the war. So... Christianity flourished in America. By the 70s, 80s, Christianity was starting to decline, and a lot of people in churches were starting to wring their hands about why we're not, you know, we're not baptizing people as much as we were. We're not, we're not growing. Our church, a lot of churches are starting to decline. They're getting older. We're not bringing young people in. One of the things that came that that people came up with to try to address that was okay, we've got too many barriers to to people now. So we need to we've got too much church language. We got too much like we need to we need to lower the barriers, right? And so people came up with what they what they called seeker sensitive churches. And they started um, changing their their assemblies to we're going to remove any language that somebody that's not a Christian won't know. You know, we're going to ch- change our songs so that there's nothing and in the process, there was was what I sometimes think of as a great purge. We we lost a lot of our rich theological language. Um, we we lost a lot of our great hymns um, because we were trying to come up with songs that everybody could understand, even if you didn't have a background in Christianity. Well, the rea- reality is, my perspective: if you're going to be a Christian, there is a vocabulary. Yeah. There are concepts. There's theology, and you need to be you need to learn those things. And if you come in and you don't know those, like, if you come in and people are using words that that you don't know, and your response to that is, "Well, I'm out of here," you're not seeing Jesus. Yeah. Like, yeah. like if if the only thing you see is that they use a kind of a different vocabulary, we're not doing a good enough job of showing you Jesus. Because yeah. what you the your first thing you ought to experience if you're not a Christian and you come in among Christians is love and warmth and grace and and friendship and in the process of that you realize you guys use some words i've never heard of before but man you love like nobody else i ain't leaving this right that's that's the experience you ought to have that's so i think the whole idea of kind of purging our vocabulary and our songs of anything 
that's unfamiliar, I think that's misguided. I think personally. churches sometimes, they think that things like vocabulary or things like worship styles or things like service times are what is detracting them from mm. non-believers, but it's really their heart and what issues are they arguing about yeah. from the pulpit and like what, how are they loving people? And they, well, that's and, what detracts Yeah, them. and I've heard people say in, you know, we mentioned earlier that a lot of churches of Christ have started to adopt instruments and one of the arguments that is sometimes put forward in favor of that is if we're ever going to attract the young people, we got to have instruments because that's just such a part of their lives. I understand where that comes from, but I also understand what young people, I think, need desperately is love and, and some level community. of acceptance and community. And, yeah. and for, for old people like me to say, you're important to me, yeah, right? Because young people, I know for a fact, do not often feel that way about churches do not make young people feel that way and that's a problem and if you make people feel that way that they're valued and important they i i think a lot of young people will not care what kind of music you're playing i i want to give i want to give young people a little more credit than that yeah well i think there's a lot of young people in singing school and i think it's because um we talk about convention music and it's very traditional style of music and like you would think about that that would be something that would not appeal to kids and like but it's the community they find in the yeah. acceptance in like the group and the music is just like a byproduct of that yeah. at times. Yeah. Yeah. So so with all that sort of said, let's dive into let's start throwing stones. It's sounded so far like we really hate traditional <laughs> traditional churches yeah so let's shift and make it sound like we really hate modern right worship. yeah right well and i think that. i think an important thing to understand <laughs> because we talked about this like that's some of the baggage that i think we all come out yeah. of yeah and i think and, one time me and you were talking about politics or something and you asked me why i didn't critique a certain side and i think it was be and my answer was that i i know the side that i came from i don't feel yeah. comfortable critiquing a lot a lot of things about another side because i don't I'm not in that side, and yeah. so I feel more comfortable critiquing. Oh, this is critiquing what I, you know because you yeah, yeah you understand I it. I've seen it for yeah. forever. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, uh, let's talk about some problems with modern worship music phenomenons, and and I'm I'm going to start out, and I'm going to say sometimes, and this is from my perspective, and it's probably partially because I'm old. Um, sometimes it's just too loud. And and distracting, um, and I will I will say we we knew a church, and they still do this. It, it was this church we, we talked about earlier that does ministry like a, like no church I've ever seen. They they love broken people. They are phenomenal. But one of their little quirks that I just find really bizarre. Sorry, oh, was who's who's making noise? <laughs> it was like right. there was like a disconnect. One of their one of their little quirks <laughs> that I find is really really bizarre is that they have a they have an intentional volume threshold that they maintain. They want it to be, they want their music to be loud enough, and they have a decibel level. They check it with with a decimal meter. They want it to be so loud that you that no one can hear themselves sing. And the assumption is. A lot of people don't consider themselves good singers and they won't worship God with their full heart if they can hear themselves because they're embarrassed about the way they sing. So they they try to make it, you know, they've determined what the, the appropriate decibel level is. And if we keep it at least that loud, then nobody will be inhibited in their singing. 
I find that when, when you look back at 2,000 years of Christianity, I find that to be a bizarre modern emphasis that somehow no one in the previous 2,000 years worried about until we get to the 2000s. I find that to be very, very strange. But I found that, I found it very, very, for me, and some of it I know comes from my baggage and my background, I, find, I found it very, very difficult in that setting to really focus and concentrate on God because my ears hurt so much. And I, I would come out of there with my ears ringing and it would be days before they quit ringing. Now these days my ears ring 24-7 anyway. <laughs> but um, I, I, like I think this, uh, this idea that it has to be uber loud that's I, I'm I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody. That's just weird. I think I think that's just weird. There's a church in town that does worship nights, and they're all yeah. they're spirit filled, and um, I I know they're of God, but they to me they lean on that it, like they pass out earplugs, which like to me. Yeah, if you've got to if you've got to put earplugs in when you when you go to church, like I can't. It's very hard for me to look at that and not think something's wrong about that. But like in like worship, as we talked about, it's a thing where like you come together. So if I can only hear myself, because at those I can only hear myself. Yeah, I'm sorry, right. But I can only hear myself and I can't hear anybody else. Then I feel like there, it, it isolates me more for me. Yeah. Uh, boy, am I glad you said that because I felt that I feel yeah. that way. I, one of the things I've always loved is hearing my brothers and sisters sing. Mm-hmm. And if it's, if the music, the instruments are so loud that I can't hear them. I would say the same thing, although I don't see this as much. If if you've got an even an acapella church, as if you've got a praise team up there, and the praise team is so loud that all you hear is the praise team, I don't see that as much. But I I think there is something beautiful and unifying about singing in a context where you hear your brothers and sisters sing. And I mean, and it might be because well, because you're. From another generation, and I just I'm grew old. Up just say like, it. You're old. <laughs> you're a little bit older. <laughs> I'm like I grew up and still lean very traditional, but maybe that's comfortable to other people, um, because they're used to going to concerts where yeah. like that, where they where they're screaming like Luke Bryan, and, like, stuff like whatever. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. not that that's wrong or anything, but that's just like what people are used to. So here's an interesting story. Um, I went to one of those worship nights one time, and because. I am an audio guy and I want to keep what's left of my hearing intact. I put in earplugs because I knew that it wasn't, it's it, in fairness to be, it's safe. It's still safe. Everybody, most, I would like to think that most people are careful about how, where their decibel yeah. level's at, which is an important thing to state. I'm not totally convinced of that, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, I'll show you the charts later. <laughs> yeah. We'll okay. talk about it. Um, but I put in earplugs at a, at a worship night one time. And I went like three, four songs with them in and realized that I was so distracted because when you, when you have earplugs in and close your ears off, all you hear is yourself like yeah. completely. Yeah. And I was so distracted about listening to me getting the right notes in my voice. And some of that's because I'm a musician that I couldn't be present in the moment thinking about God. So I had to take yeah. them out because yeah. then I needed, and yeah, I couldn't hear the people around me, but I wasn't distracted by myself. Yeah, you know, which so that's. I see. I definitely see both sides of it, and I think it's important. We were going to talk about this later, but I think maybe now is the right time to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's important to understand where some of that comes from, 
um, as an audio engineer, the the very base level of education that happens is you learn how to mix for pop music, right? And by pop, I don't mean necessarily just Christina Aguilera, Lady Gaga. Like, I don't necessarily mean that. I mean all kinds of popular music, country. Right. There's a general group think about the way hip-hop, whatever. The stuff you hear on the gramophone. (laughs) (laughs) There's a general consensus about the way that that should be mixed. Yeah. Um, And if you don't know, if you've never thought about it before, because I hadn't thought about it before, what I mean by mix is controlling the levels of each individual instrument and making it sound unified and making Mm -hmm. it sound good. So there's techniques involved in all of that. But the way, the very base level of knowledge that we have is, is we learn in audio school how to mix for that because that's 90% of what we do. Now, the next level of that is learning how to mix for taste and learning how to mix for context. And so I think there are some really, really, really good engineers that have learned church is a different thing than mixing on the road, right? It needs to sound a little bit different. Yeah. And there's a balance there. Yeah. Um, I've I've talked with my worship leader and the, the main audio tech at, at my church about finding that balance because it is a balance, right? Yeah. You want it to sound familiar, <clears throat> but you also don't want it to sound overwhelming and o- overpowering. Um, and yeah. specifically at that church, the first church that we we mentioned, the the bass was overwhelmingly loud, like it. Oh yeah, you could feel it in your in your gut, <laughs> and you could feel it from three blocks away. And, yeah, like my experience, most of the time, if they like turn down the bass, like the whole thing just gets better. Yeah. Like better. that, the sound issues yeah. usually. Yeah, and that's hard when you're mixing because you're you're listening for balance, and you're used to hearing a certain kind of balance on the radio or on whatever. Yeah. And sometimes that's hard to create in an, in an atmosphere. So, go, go ahead. Well, are you about? To, I think you're about to tell me to say what I'm about to say. I was going to say talk about musicians too. Is that musicians what too, right? Yeah. Um, the way that the way that we are all created, we music. You mean the way that musicians develop? Right? Develop. Yeah. We develop playing some form of popular music, and that. In, in some, you know, if you play publicly at all, you, it, it's it's some kind of concert setting, whether yeah. it's a, whether it's some sort of venue or a bar or, or a club or or, or whatever. Musicians are used to playing for an audience. Yeah, and you may learn traditional and and, and they're used to. Let me, let me say this too: it's it is, it is entertainment based. Yeah, it just that's is. A, yeah, that's a musicians, thing, yeah. musicians entertain that's what they do it's what they're it's what they're supposed to do it's what they're geared to do it's what they they view the whole thing about through the lens of entertainment i think most Mm -hmm. of them do so you take those talented musicians and most church musicians am i stealing your thunder no go for it most church musicians don't just play at church they're usually part of a little band somewhere and they're they're playing on friday night maybe saturday night and then they they go to church on sunday and they're playing um, I think it's it's really really hard for them to turn that off, turn that entertainment so I think thing off when on Sunday that they've been doing, you know, Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Friday night, Saturday night. I think that's. I don't know. I grew up very weird, so like I didn't perform in public except for church. Mm-hmm. So now my and I don't really play a bunch of gigs except for church. So I have to turn the entertainment part on 
when I go to church on Sunday. Yeah. And so me, some of my piano students, everybody I took piano with growing up, we played like classical music at recitals, mm -hmm. but we never played with a band. We were, we were trained to play for church. And so, I mean, that's a very small subset and I think that's a, an issue in and of itself. But like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, well, I get that on one hand because I like I grew up playing trumpet first, and when I when I kind of transitioned partially to guitar, I was so used to being still and stiff and perfect that sometimes I see videos of myself playing guitar and I don't look like I'm having fun. Yeah. When on the inside I am, yeah. but it doesn't I mean, look same, like it because it's been yeah. it's been which, trained. Which doesn't matter except when you're in an entertainment context. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So so I want to say in all this. Like I think the people who are playing music in, in an instrumental setting, um, and the people who are mixing, they're you they just they're they're just they can't help it. They're viewing all this through an entertainment lens, and so what you end up seeing on stage and what you end up hearing sounds very much like that. And maybe maybe that's nobody's intent, but they just that's the water they drink and the air they breathe, and they don't know any different. Especially it, if you have professionals. Yeah, pres yeah, 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 and that's what most most churches want professionals because it sounds better, right? But what 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 you the, the the what you end up with is you end up with performers on stage, d dancing around and sometimes looking, uh, looking like they do on on a concert stage and and some of that stuff you just if you look at it, seems like I'm just not sure this is really about God, yeah, you know, but but I think that I think the the the, the same is true for. Especially if you have a, a church with a lot of young people, you know, they're used to going to concerts, they're used to going to clubs, they're used to seeing this, and they're used to being entertained. Yeah. And and so you put some you put a group of entertainers up on stage that are, you know, I think, I don't think I don't think it's that anybody's necessarily sat down and say, okay, we need to make this as entertaining as possible. I just think that's the, it's the water. that's the air everybody's breathing. Yeah. I think that also goes back to the loud thing. Like, if you're used to being entertained, or you're used to making something for people to be entertained, you obviously want it as loud as possible because you know the bass and like you want them to hear it. Because it's all about that bass, right? Yes, no trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no trouble. About that bass. About that bass. Anyway. Um, but like, if you want people to participate, you have to turn. In, in my view, I think you should turn. You have to turn it down at least some. Yeah. Or else they won't participate because they can only hear themselves or. Because they're being under, they're being fed it. Yeah. They don't have to participate yeah. to get anything. And and that kind of gets into one of my other little critiques. I um, is that, and I've heard song leaders, worship leaders talk about this. I, I think we we are so afraid of silence these days. You know, so one song ends, and I think, and I know because I've heard worship leaders and song leaders talk about this, talk about. We, we get to the end of the song, but we got to jump right into the next song. We can't leave any dead space because we're going to lose people. And I think, I think some of that, I think you're short selling people like, like really the, like people can't stand a, a second yeah. of silence or, or they're just going to drift off into, into total distraction or something. I also think in, in Christianity, there's something spiritual and holy about silence. Silence is often the place where God whispers to you. And I think if we if we arrange our um, assemblies in such a way that there's never any time for silence, I think we're missing something. 
I think along with that is like stillness. And that's something I think modern worship does well is they, even if they're playing something, they provide an opportunity for it to breathe and for it to be still. We never had that growing up. It was three congregationals, special offertory, preaching, invitation. And the invitation was more still than the invitation in my church now. But like it was, you were doing something the whole time. Yeah. 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 I I think there is in modern worship music, there is an opportunity to, to reflect a lot of times there's instrumental breaks and stuff which sounds weird like it sounds weird to say there's we're gonna have an instrumental break but if you look at it as time to reflect on what you've just saying or you if if your heart's in the right place and that's the theme that we keep bringing up is like if your focus is in the right place if your heart's in the right place you know you can make the most of any situation yeah I, i i i am sensitive to the idea that i want to give and I know God's bigger than me and God can work in anything. And I, I know yeah. all that, but I, but I do know also, I want to give God, I want to give God some space in, in all this, um, in our, in our assembly and the way we do things. I don't want, I don't want it to just be, you know, if I'm the worship leader or if I'm the preacher, even I, you know, I don't want it to just be constant, you know, noise, 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 noise coming from a stage. I, I, I do want to, Give God a minute to 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 do something. I I think there is, you know, meditation is a Christian thing, and who says that we can't have a a, a bit of medita- meditative yep. time in our in our assemblies? Like I think that's holy. But but so much of modern worship is geared to absolutely eliminate that. I think. I think a lot of the intention behind it is, like we talked about before, it's to eliminate distractions. So, in, you know, a drummer just slamming on his crash cymbal can be really distracting if he's doing Which it. is why most drummers are caged, <laughs> you yeah. know. Like, did you ever notice that? Like, we put... And here's the thing I know about drummers, because we've known a few drummers. You, like, you can tell a guitar player to, you know, turn your volume down a little bit or... You cannot tell a drummer no. to play quietly. They it's it's they don't Not know how either. to do it. The only thing you can do is artificially force it on them, and and a lot of drummers, if they know their cage, they'll just play, play louder. louder. Yeah, yeah. My church yeah. has an electric drum set. It's it's kind of weird. Not gonna lie, mm-hmm. but I mean, we don't have that issue. But it <laughs> works. Least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you yeah. you got a volume on that thing. Yeah, yeah. That, see, that's what but, we need. But what I, think, I would like in a in a service where there's instruments, I want to have a master volume control, and I want to be in charge of it. <laughs> right, because it's all about you. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. But I think some. Well, worship... I know what pleases me is what pleases God. Oh. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think some worship leaders feel like because of the world that we live in and because of the overstimulus that we have, like silence is also distracting. Like, like in trying to eliminate distractions, they're eliminating both. And I, I understand where that comes from and I understand where that heart... For example, I'm going to tell on us a little bit. Um, when we play at the BCM, and this is something we could talk about if you want to talk about applause, like at the end of a song, like yeah. that's something that comes from entertainment. Right. But... If you're in a church where there's a full band and you have to, you have a set change or you have a song change in between and they don't applaud, like it's cringy in the room, right? Would you agree or not? Uh, depends. Okay. Maybe I'm just alone. So there's like, there's a lot on applause. There's a church, the Brooklyn Tabernacle, Pastor Jim Cimbala, they 
I listen to a lot of their albums. It's great worship music. Um, but they do like clap. They do. He asks them to applaud for God a lot, and it kind yeah. of fills that, but also like directs it to God. Yeah. I grew up where in the Baptist world, clapping for special music is like, what side are you on? Do you clap or do you not clap? Yeah, and that was that was the way in, in yeah. Church of Christ too, and it was almost always, don't you dare clap. See, my family was like, well, if there's like an eight-year-old up there playing off tour, yeah, you're going to clap for <laughs> yeah. them. Because, yeah, because the poor kid needs yeah. some feedback. Yeah. 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 yeah, and so my family, to their church there right now, they kind of single-handedly brought applause back. But anyway, like we just start clapping. But yeah. my church, we don't clap. And it doesn't feel weird, but that's to me because yeah. I grew up not clapping between songs anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think some of that's just energy. Like that's some true. of that's just energy in the room. If you can tell that people are in it, and people are de- dedicated, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But if you don't hear applause and you look out and see blank stares, then yeah, yeah, yeah. then you kind of it as a performer, performer, musician, you kind of get disconnected, and you're like, why are the BCM was very that was very cringy in that aspect. Yeah, because and that's for several reasons, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just just where you come from and what what you you know i don't know it's again we're we're we keep bringing up this point of like if as a worship leader you're trying to do the best you can and you're trying you know you're not going to get it all right you're not going to you're not going to make every decision correctly you're going to do some things that some people are always going to look at as well that's wrong but as an individual which most of us are most of us aren't on stage most of us aren't your goal has to be, is my heart humble? Is my heart in the right place? Am yeah. I thinking about yeah. what I'm singing? Am I? And and if you're a, if you're the leader of this, you need to think: Am I am I facilitating? Am I facilitating that? Am I making it easier or more difficult for the people out there, and to to, to do the same? Yeah. And and what I want to see, what I you know, if I if I were God and had the the magic wand and could make everything, I would want to see. Um, because I believe everybody needs, um, everybody needs deserves a seat at the table there. So I want, you know, if I've got people in my in my assembly that have noise thresholds beyond which they have to leave, yeah, right, yeah, like I, I think we should be aware of that. We should we should love them enough to, to yeah. you know, nobody gets to hold the church hostage, right, no. for right. their for their own little pet things. But I think we should, and, and I've got a, I've got something I want to say right at the end of all this, kind of about, that showcases that. But, but on the other hand, like the people with the noise thresholds can't hold the church hostage to only singing hymns, like yeah. for yeah, and and maybe maybe so what what some churches have done is we've had a, a contemporary service and a traditional service like we divided up into two services but people are still divided i mean yeah. if you have 5000 people you're going to be you're going to have multiple services anyway just yeah. cuz i can't do that but what i would love to see is all right let's not have the full volume high rock band thing on every single song yeah you know yeah. let's have some you know when we used to listen to the radio you know how they'd have fast songs and then they'd have some slow songs and they would mix them up i always change the channel when it's slow <laughs> nathan does too he doesn't he always hated like slow songs but but in a in a christian assembly you know maybe there's time for some and and this we're going to get into another little thing of mine so the emphasis on praise right and and 
upbeat sort of things. Um, I think, I think that's sort of one-sided too. You know, we read the Psalms. What are some of the different emotions that you see expressed in the Psalms? And the Psalms, if we want to think of it as Israel's songbook, which I've heard people say that, and it kind of is true. What kind of, what kind of emotions do we see in the songs? Well, we see praise and joy, but we also see despair and lament. There's anger. There's anger. There's fear, uncertainty, doubt. There's petition, you know, um, I, like I think, I think singling out one emotion and saying this is going to hold sway all the time in the songs that we sing, I think that's a little short-sighted too, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and I, think, I think one of the reasons we, you know, in our modern churches, one of the reasons we tend to want everything about praise and celebration is I think we... It comes out of that seeker-sensitive model, right? We, we you know, people come that aren't necessarily Christians, and they, and we're we sound like we're singing songs that are kind of mopey. They're not going to want to come back. So we want everything to be kind of fun, kind of upbeat, kind of positive. So it's a good experience for everybody, and and they want to come back. But you know what we what we do in an assembly grows out of life, and life is not always happy. Sometimes. Life is, it sucks. Sometimes it's scary. And and for, for us as a church to not address those things, even in our song sometimes, um, like I think we're, I think we're missing out. I think, anyway. I think you were talking about like loud and quiet at, at, uh, stamps. They taught us how to build a set list, um, one day and they were taught, it was for a concert but they're talking about they come out with an upbeat song that people are going to forget or people don't need to like listen to because they're all talking around and like the concert is getting <laughs> yeah. starting. They're not even. focused yet. Yeah. Yeah. And so and then you transition and you transition to slower songs and a testimony and then slower songs at the night and if you want to build to your like whatever at the end. And I think to me it feels wise to, to do church similar, do church worship sets similarly, like think about how they're going to flow. Like do you really want to do Glorious Day right before your pastor is going to get up and preach on like john four or something like i think there's um, my church has always done like really we'll do up tempo fast pace and then we'll like tone it down as we go through till we get to the sermon yeah yeah i think it's useful to to build a build an assembly around a a theme right and and let the sermon and the and the songs sort of complement each other there i want to talk about that sometimes because i think i i always assumed in our churches growing up that the song leader just picked the songs, which and, I think and that's, tr- that's for they most did. of the time they sure, did. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that did. I appreciate about quote-unquote modern worship leaders is that there is an appearance at least, and I, depending on where you're at, you may have this or not, but the best worship leaders are very prayerful in their song selection, and they're, they're really talking to God about what, what do I need to talk about? And yeah, they're talking to the pastor about what he's preaching about too, but but there's a hard thing. And a lot of times God just works it out where, you know, a song that you picked is exactly what somebody needed to hear on that specific day. God often does that. And he does that when people aren't intentional, but I I think I appreciate. He blesses the intentionality. Yeah. I appreciate when, when people are specifically, you know, praying ahead of time and like, yeah. Inviting the Holy Spirit into that decision. Yeah. So, so to, to kind of wrap up this little piece of, of this, like I, I would love to see, 
I would love to see the, the, the values that, that end up shining in the way we, the way we do music in our assemblies. Um, I, I would like to see it take all people into account and not just, not just young people or people with good ears. Right. Um, I would like, I would like to see something this emphasize the, or at least allow space for some silence. Um, allow some space for a, a wider gamut of human emotion than just happiness and celebration. Um, I, I think if we, I think if we just sort of kind of wrapped our assemblies around those values, I think we'd, I think we'd fix some of this stuff, you know, and, I, and I, some of that goes with traditional worship as a, and modern stuff. I think we could use some balance on both sides. Um, Shifting gears just a little bit, one of the other one of the other things I I think we have to talk about a little bit. I don't know what time it is, and I don't know how far we're into this, but I, I say at this point, let's just keep on moving onward and upward. Uh, one one of the other problems is um, underdeveloped theology in in the way that we do stuff. So, and here I want to refer to an article uh, from 2019 uh, on the website Charisma. And I'm going to put the link in this in the show notes for this. So the article um, starts out by referring to the widely reported loss of faith by two very known, well-known Christian celebrities. If that's if you can even use those two words together. Um, so one was um, author and purity advocate Joshua Harris, who wrote the book "I Kiss Dating Goodbye," um, which was a very, very, very popular book that, that um, a lot of you have read. Um, he said in 2019 that he is no longer a Christian. Um, and it, it made the headlines and was a very widely reported uh, piece of, of news. Um, also, uh, former Hillsong worship leader and songwriter Marty Sampson, uh, he was another guy, very, um, very prominent guy in the Christian worship, modern Christian worship scene. Um, he came out and said his Christian faith is, quote, on incredibly shaky ground. So this is reported in this in this article that we're that we're linking to, and the the article goes on to quote uh, John Cooper, who is the lead singer of the Christian rock band Skillet. And Cooper asked in a in a pretty lengthy Facebook post, "What is happening in Christianity?" And he basically questions why these influential Christians are leaving the beliefs that they once promoted so passionately. And I want to read a couple of quotes from him here, and and then we'll we'll talk about this. And and to be fair, um, you really should read his whole statement because I'm just picking and choosing a little bit, right? So I'm going to be fair and say, click on the link in the show notes and read the whole statement. But he says he says this. He says my conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, is this: we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christian Christendom. And yes, that includes people like me, he said. He said, I've been saying for 20 years and seem uh, probably quite judgmental to some of my peers that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the Word. 
I'm not being rude to my worship leader friends, many of whom would agree with me in saying that singers and musicians are good at communicating emotion and feeling. We create a moment and a vehicle for God to speak. However, singers are not always the best people to write solid Bible truth and doctrine. Sometimes we are too young, too ignorant of Scripture, too unaware, or too unconcerned about the purity of Scripture and the holiness of the God we are singing to. Have you ever considered the disrespect of singing songs to God that are untrue of his character? So that's one kind of lengthy quote. And I, and I, 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 I want to read one more little piece of all this. And again, read the whole thing, please. He said this. He said, Brothers and sisters in the faith all around the world, pastors, teachers, worship leaders, influencers, I implore you, please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths, but rather let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God, for he changes not. And then he quotes Isaiah uh, 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. Okay. So, young people, what do you have to say about all that? I think he's really smart when he says don't look to a 20-year-old for, like, your theological... Actually, you shouldn't really look to anybody who's 20 for anything. You shouldn't <laughs> even look to a 22-year-old. Just going to throw that out there. Um, what about 23? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> now, I want to... Uh, let me just stop you for a minute, because I want to say, as the, as the token old guy here... I'm not, when you, when you say that, I, I, I tend to kind of agree, but what I do want to say, and I want to say this loudly, and I want the old guy to say this and make, so people hear this, I don't want to marginalize the 20-year-olds yes. from our conversation and from our life together as a church. 20-year-olds are important. One of, my, one of my huge sort of convictions about church life is we need each other, all of us of all age groups. Us old people need young people in our lives we need we need to hear the perspectives of young people we need to we need to be challenged by the by the life and the passion and the and the devotion and the the vision of young people i think this the the converse is also true i think young people need you know uh, scripture says the older should teach the younger i i think there's there's some collective wisdom and and knowledge and perspectives that we like and i think we are only healthy as a church when, when we're all doing life with God together and we all get to, to influence each other. And if we, if we say anything that is not that, I think we're in real danger of getting yeah. off in the weeds. So, and like, that was a hyperbolic statement. I know Paul says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Yeah. Um, and like my you church. You quoted King James, didn't you? Yes. All the time. How about that? <laughs> um, my church, we, they do a really good job of getting, um, the young college students involved or recent post-grads. Um, but I think in this statement, he wasn't talking necessarily about the local church. He was talking about like the church as a general mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And on, okay. I had a, I had a conversation with an unbeliever yesterday and even he was like, you shouldn't put people on a pedestal because then when they do sin, like it's a big deal. He was talking yeah. about some people I know specifically and then like the priests in the Catholic church and he did have a good point that people who are put on a pedestal should be, people who are in a position of leadership, excuse me, should be held to a higher standard. But... Scripture even says that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you 
as a put somebody else on a pedestal instead of Jesus and then like they fall because they're going to fall because they're human. sure they're human you can't base your faith on that because then your faith is going to fall too right. and it's, it's really hard to do when you go to a church and you see somebody who is speaking the words of Jesus that we all want to hear whether you're a Christian or not speaking truths of Jesus and you you it's hard in our celebrity culture not to worship the ground that they walk yeah. on. And that's yeah. what, like the influencer culture plays yeah. into this. Definitely. Everyone's hugely, hugely, yeah. Like, gosh, I hate influencers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, that's, that's been true for a very, very long time. Like, that's not just a modern thing. Um, in, the, in the early 20th century, it was guys like Andrew Carnegie and, and, and the, yeah. the, you know, the big titans of industry that were the, were the heroes. I, I think this is getting off into the weeds and I'm not going to go there, but we in churches and, and, this is doc- this has been documented pretty solidly. We changed the way we thought of leadership in the early 20th century from the way, if you look at the way leaders were thought of in churches prior to that and the way we tend to think, you know, most of our leaders now tend to be business people and executives and, and high dollar kind of yeah. people. We, those are the people we seem to want and seem to put into eldership in churches all the time you know those are the people we look at and that changed in the early 20th century so so this is not a new this is not just now i think it is it's bizarre now that we have internet i think it's bizarre that i can open up my phone every morning and see an influencer i try not to follow any but like just for example like somebody in Paris, an expat whatever in paris like and she's like showing me her life, and like there's even I guess there's Christian influence follow, but like it's in my face all day. Yeah. Sure, sure, and 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 whatever happens in our world, I can find out what um, you know some what movie think star about thinks yeah. about it within ten minutes. Because yeah. as as one of my old professors says, nobody these days has an unexpressed thought. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's clear that you know worship leaders have a responsibility because, and this is important to understand. Um, like, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago before the technological boom, and this is true about music, but it, it applies to worship music, um, there was a barrier between he, people having a song and people, and that song being recorded and released and published. There's basically no barrier now yeah. between somebody writing a song and having it published. Like, it's... Right. You can it, do, you as an audio engineer, you can do every piece of that here in this little room. Mm-hmm. Yep. For, I mean, a, I can do it in my for less, bedroom on a keyboard. For less than $1,000. For even it, even less, less even yeah. way less than that. Yeah. And by the way, if anybody out there wants to do that, you should call Nathan at Nathan Longwell Music. NathanLongwell.com. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> I think that applies to, to church music, though, right? Like, we in all that we've talked about over the last 80 episodes, I'm not... Seven, six, five episodes, whatever it's been. Four. Um, we all clearly come from different backgrounds. We have we have seen churches have different backgrounds in churches, which means that people that are putting out Christian music come from everywhere and every walk of life and have a whole bunch of their own baggage and experiences and stuff. Yeah. And so the way that they write music comes from a specific place. Whether that's valid or not is irrelevant, but what 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 leaders have control over is what music 
gets heard in their church. Yeah. In their church. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's the important part. Yeah. And so there there ought to like in every in every church, the the, the elders, the the ministers, the 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 shepherds of that church, like they should be involved in some of this. And that's right? a very especially if you yeah. have a group of, of worship leaders who are who are young and yeah. however talented maybe not as as theologically grounded as we because they're on a journey too and those those worship leaders are a very small percentage of the population so for everybody else who is just an individual you have a little bit of a responsibility in doing some of your own legwork um in not just reading the headlines but in really digging into well what does this song mean is it biblically sound like there, there is a level of responsibility, and and the truth is, is we can't eliminate all unbiblically sound songs because, as we've discovered, some of that, some of that is a little bit relevant. Like yeah. some of yeah. that depends on yeah. history, some of that depends on experience, whatever, and where you come from. And so, you know, we all have baggage, and we all have our history, and and all that to say, we all need to have a little bit of grace with each other. Yes, but we also all need to be comfortable enough and strong enough in our faith to be able to point out when things are inaccurate or incorrect. We're all, if the body is functioning in a healthy way, we are all constantly calling each other towards something higher and truer and, um, and purer and closer ultimately to the heart of God. We're all, we all have responsibility to, to, move us and those around us as close you know as much as we can we don't have we can't have control over anybody but us closer to the heart of god yeah i think what you're talking about i liked his emphasis on truth because sometimes i write songs like for fun or whatever um i'm really good parody writer but really good parody writer very good parody (laughs) writers yeah the next weird owl you know it (laughs) Um, but weird, like, weird Ashley. Yes. <laughs> I should do that. I should parody Weird Al. <laughs> um, parody of a parody. Hey, they like, that's just a hard thing sometimes. Cause th- there's beautiful songs, um, Christian songs that aren't true. Like I have one pulled up. Um, I don't know if you know it. If heaven was never promised to me, neither God's promise to live eternally. It's been worth just having the Lord in my life. And it's a beautiful song. It's an Andre Crouch song. I think Evie, sing, Evie Carlson sings it too. Um, and I love that song. But I had somebody point out to me that, hey, that's not biblical. Because Paul says, if in this world alone we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. Yeah. And like that was really hard for me because I was like, but this song is like so great. But it's not true. And yeah. I have to like make sure that I want truth more than anything. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I, I have, I have. There's songs that we sing, and I, I there's some I can, just can't hardly stand, and it, and it's because of that, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, um, I think, I think very few American Christians can sing uh, the old song. You maybe you know, I don't know if this was a song you sang, but I'm satisfied with just a cottage below. Yes. Yes. A little silver and like a little ten-year-old. gold. I think very few Americans have any business singing that because you're not sat. We're we're we as Americans, yeah. we're not satisfied with a little cottage below. We're we're not satisfied unless we have great big old house, and three point two cars, and and loads of money in the bank, and a yeah. boat, and a camper, and a you know, we're just you know. I think that goes back to edification. Like if you can't <laughs> sing that, like 
singing that you should be looking inside yourself like yeah. am i really satisfied with that yeah because yeah. i should be yeah yeah mm-hmm. there's a convention song called i'd rather have jesus and it's like it's not the hymn i'd rather have jesus which is also a very good song but it's along the same lines yeah. like i'd yeah. rather be a beggar yeah. living in a poor shack by the road so um so we're wrapping up here um which our, i'm sure our listeners are, are overjoyed about um, since we got four episodes, and and I when I originally talked about this, I said it might be two, and now we're at four. So so we're we're coming to the end of this. Um, and I think I think the way I want to end it. For, well, first of all, is there anything that we've not talked about that either you two want to want to address, or something you, we haven't said that, or you haven't said that you really itching to say that you've not been given opportunity to say? I think there's something to touch on that we didn't talk about. Was a lot. There's a complaint. From the traditional side about modern praise and worship, but the lyrics are repetitive, and yeah, yeah. So, so I've got a friend who calls a lot of those modern worship songs. He calls them Seven Eleven songs. It's the same seven words eleven times. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that good criticism, which sometimes is valid. I think that sometimes, sometimes repetition is good. Like the song "God is so good, God is so good, God is so good." Mm. Yeah. Like just singing that over and over again for me helps me. Yeah, but that's an older song, so it's okay. Well, exactly. Like, but if they turn the mirror at themselves, like, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away, like over and over, or yeah, um, or the the new the new one is the new one is you are good, good, king of my heart, oh oh, you are good, good, Uh, like it it just goes on and on and on, yeah. Which I hated that song at first. Like, hate is a strong word, but that like I just got bored with that because the, the lyrics were so repetitive, which I understand. But then we had a friend one time look at me and say. Sometimes that's all you can say. Sometimes that's what you need to I've say. I've been Sometimes in situations where all I could sing was "God is so good." You've like, got to yeah. refocus and and hold on to that truth because yeah. it is truth. It's not yep. untruthful. And and there are some people who are in such the depths of despair because of junk in their own life or their own sense of lostness or, or brokenness or whatever. The, the only thing, the the most important thing that they need is to be reminded that God is good mm-hmm. and that He loves you, and yeah. that this current situation you're in is not the end. Right? It, it's not even reflective of God how, how God feels about you. Yeah, yeah. But I just think like there there's a criticism that's usually leveled by like the traditional mm-hmm. crowd, but honestly, it's the same. The tra- there's a lot of gospel songs and hymns that the chorus is the same. There's a new name written down in school in glory. Like there's a lot of them. What's the one? Um, what's the one about the? the there's an old. When the song. role is called up yonder, is that way. That's what's one I think of. Oh yeah. Um, what's the old song about the? The cottage and a glen that, and we're gonna be there oh, with family. The cabin or, of memories. a cabin on the no, river of man. No, there's another one. It's one of our. It's we old timey. We just all loved it, right? And there's nothing in there about Jesus or God or Precious anything. Memory. Yes, 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 yes. That's so there's that one. There's another one. The church in the no, it's not the church in the wildwood either. Anyway, yeah, Precious Memories is one. Like that's not. That's a great song. Yeah. It's a great song. Well, it's just not a particularly godly. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's ungodly. It's not ungodly. And that's the but thing. There's not time a, for that. And we, but you know, it doesn't yeah. mention, like, I don't know that it should be in a hymn book, personally. Yeah, that, yeah that's kind of, yeah. I think, what I'm saying. I'm we not against started. that song. I want to make, folks, I'm not against that song. Yeah. We started this. <laughs> <laughs> we started this whole conversation with talking specifically about church music and wor- worship music in church. But there is a time and place 
for uh th- what's that mercy me song the dance do you remember happy that one? dance happy dance happy dance. like there's a time i love that place. song i love that song you, do you know that oh you should watch the video i'll pull it up when we're done here yeah there is a dance. time and place for all of these kinds of emotions that that we need to pay attention to yeah but it may not be in the assembly yeah, I think that's another thing with emotions in the assembly is that sometimes they can have a ten. Like I was always taught growing up that emotions are the caboose. Like you have emotions, they're valid, but they should be the caboose of your actions. Like they don't drive the train. And yeah, like, interesting, um, the caboose. I think that a lot of times in modern worship services, the emphasis is so much on emotion that if yeah. you don't if you don't have an emotional experience that day, which I like, I'm not an emotional person. I never have an emotional experience. Not never, but rarely yeah. have a true emotional experience then like oh well then you must not be worshiping enough because yeah and and, the, and converse yeah you should so that's not something you you should be seeking necessarily yeah. like i'm not satisfied with this worship you need to be i'm critiquing this unless i have an emotional experience that no they did not do their job for yeah me. right no 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 and that takes some a, a large degree of self-awareness and paying attention to where where you are and where you are at that day and i think to kind of wrap up the the practical thing that you can do is find a place with the number one find a place that loves Jesus and shows the community that they love Jesus number one I think that's probably most important number two like there's nothing wrong with a little bit of church shopping so if if you're like my father and can't deal with really loud noises that's fine find a place that that has a worship experience that, that knows how to use the volume. Yeah. Knob. That can connect <laughs> yeah. with you, right? Yeah. But then number three, at some level, you have to just kind of say, okay, I'm here. I'm committed. I know this place is godly and I know they're doing godly yeah. things. And I'm going to set myself aside and my baggage aside and focus on God and focus on what I'm singing, what I'm feeling, what I'm hearing, yeah. focus on my brother's focus on the lyrics. I'm going to just be in the moment and pay attention. And when you're not, talk to God about it, pray about it, focus on him and recalibrate. In that list, especially if you're a musician um, or audio engineer or whatever, I think serving should be in the top three of that list. Like Mm. find a place where you can serve because that's the point of the church is the point that like we serve each other in the body. Like we're there to help each other. Yeah. And you won't be truly happy in a church unless you're serving. Unless, yeah, unless you can use your gifts for the glory of God and, and in service to your brothers and sisters. Yeah, absolutely. I think my little final emphasis is that none of us can do, and this is like, this is the drum I bang on. I, I, I have a one string guitar. Um, it, you can do a lot with a one string guitar. Yeah. None of us, none of us can do Thunderstruck any was of a this. One, sorry, was one string. Anyway, continue. <laughs> None of us can do any of this well without God. Um, lean into God. Shore up your relationship with Him. Find an engaged relationship with Him. Let Him change you and make you into the worshiper that He deserves and that He wants to be. Um, God, and, and, and as we think about as we think about what worship needs to be, God needs to be at the center, not us. Not us. If you go into this, and, and I'm, I'm saying this to me because I can be critical. If you go into this as a critiquer all the time, um, you're not coming at this with the right angle. Um, remember, 
proskuneo, our Greek word from episode one. It's a surrender. Go into this. As you think about the worship, the worship, as you think about the, the assembly, as you think about music, surrender. Um, unity, not self-centeredness. Giving, not receiving. So I want to finish with a quote. So there was a guy that I knew. Um, I, I'm not sure, to be honest, whether he's even still living or whether he's gone to be with God. He was one of the most wonderful men I knew. Uh, his name was Howard Norton. He was a Church of Christ guy. It's a wonderful, wonderful, godly man. He said one time years ago, and it was something that just stuck with me and I've never forgotten. We were talking about all these worship wars, and he said this. He said, I long to be at a church where the young people of that church petition the elders and they go to them and they say, please, please make sure that in our singing every week, make sure we sing some of those old hymns. They, they're not really our favorite, but, but our brothers and sisters, our older brothers and sisters, they love them so much. They speak to their heart and we love our older brothers and sisters. So, so please make sure that some of those songs are included in every service because we love them. And the older people in that church go to the elders and they say, would you please make sure that we play some of those young, some of those newer songs because our, our young people just love them. We, we don't like them as much, but, but our young people love them and they resonate with their hearts and their spirits so much. And we love those, these young people and we want them to be at home here and we want them to, to find some things that, they, that bless them. So please make sure that in every service that we have some songs like that. He said, I long to be at a church like that. And that is, me too. Me too. That is so often not where we're at in our churches. We're, we're staking out our own ground. We're looking out for our own perspectives. Look out for your brothers and sisters and let's, let's find a way to do worship in a church. Let's find a way to do music in our assemblies that doesn't just stake out a claim and hold, but, but that, that seeks to include every member of the body of Christ and leave no one out. Let's do that. I think if we do that, all these issues with worship and the assembly and music, I think they will evaporate. And we will just join together to love God and to, and to worship Him and to serve each other. How's that? Is that a pretty good way to conclude? Amen. Yeah. Amen. All right. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. Uh, as always, we'd appreciate it if you tell others about the podcast. Please, uh, if you enjoy the show, please smash that subscribe button, like, rate, and review us um, wherever you go to get your podcast. Please visit our uh, Facebook group or our Facebook page for the Jesus Society podcast. You can find that. Um, check out our Patreon page uh, with this link down there in the show notes for that. Um, it's kind of a one-stop shop clearinghouse of all the stuff for the, have links to the podcast, have uh, stuff that I've written. Um, other other good stuff and if the, the Lord moves your heart to support us in the work that we're doing here um, you'll have the opportunity there to do that thanks so much for listening I want to thank I want to thank Nathan and Ashley for being here for what has proved to be a marathon conversation but you guys I, I love you both and I'm grateful that you're here and um, for everybody else that's listening thanks for listening and remember you are, you are greatly, greatly loved, loved.